0: Good morning, my name is Jordan Chapel, middle school pastor here at First Church. Uh, just, thanks Clay, just wanted to give you a uh, uh, quick update. Uh, you guys have probably seen on Facebook and stuff, we've had, for the past three weeks, we've had a different group of students gone uh, serving elsewhere on mission trips, and it's been a phenomenal experience. So three weeks ago, we had some high schoolers go to Clendenin, yes, Clendenin, West Virginia, um, they did a phenomenal job. Luke said it was a great experience. Um, la- then the week after that, uh, Luke and I high-fived in the parking lot, and I took uh, a bunch of students to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, middle schoolers, and we had another phenomenal experience there. And then Luke and I once more high-fived in the parking lot again, and he took uh, a group of upperclassmen to um, to Guatemala, um, not even gonna begin to pronounce some, he went to Guatemala. Um, and uh, and so they had they got home late, late last night, early morning, however you wanna call it. And so everyone is safe, we're here, and we're praising God for the growth that we saw in our students. So we would love to share stories with you, but more importantly than that, uh, if you see a student, I'm, I'm sure wa- if you see a student wandering around, we had so many students go. Chances have it one of them were on the trip, so grab them, say, hey, worst case scenario, they didn't go, but grab them say, hey, what did God teach you? And uh, they're all prepped and ready because God worked in incredible ways. Uh, one of the less incredible ways uh, that uh, we came back from Milwaukee experiencing um, was in some game time, okay? so. Uh, we took six, I took five other leaders and myself to Milwaukee with us, and they did incredible. So uh, if you know these people, it'll help kind of set the context, but we've got me. We've got Clay Sikafoos, we've got Rachel Gregory, we've got Molly Green, Crystal Van Houten, and then the Charlie Richmond. Charlie Richmond is, bless, bless his heart, but like, I think, I don't wanna do wrong math, but not quite three times my age, but like, he's, he's older, <laughs> He's older, and, uh, but just a gem of a human being. Love him so much. If you know Charlie, you know how wonderful he is. Uh, and so we were playing this game the first night we were there, and it's called Space Team. Okay? And here's how the game worked. You have a, a deck of cards that is a bunch of problems with your spaceship, uh, Amanda, you didn't like it? Oh, it's so fun. So you have a deck of cards that's the problem with your spaceship, and things are falling apart, going haywire. You got another deck that's significantly smaller that you have to share, and those are the tools to fix the problems. And so we're passing around in it. If you've ever played the game Pit, where you just, like, scream at each other, think that, but you're all on the same team. So you're screaming across the table. you got to pass these tools around. And, and so I get the six of the leaders that, that are there in Milwaukee. To, I would say, let's play a game. Let's start this week off on a fun foot. And so all these kids are watching us play this game. And we get towards the end of the game where the, the, some of the leaders are like finishing up their deck of problem cards that they need to fix. And um, Charlie is, is hoarding a bunch of cards. And we, I, I don't remember who it was. I think it was Molly. I can't remember. But she's, she's yelling like, Charlie, pass the tools! And it just like screaming at him. And Charlie, like a... He said it like a broken human. Like he's just broken and sorrowful. He's like, he looks at all of us and goes, I don't have any tools. All I have are problems. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was one of those things that like you can just print on a t-shirt because it was so funny. But as I reflected and prepared for this week, um, I feel like we might operate like that in life a lot of times. Where we got problems, stacking on problems, stacking on problem, and and we don't have the, the necessary tools or resources to, to necessarily fix those problems. And that's an okay place to be, that you don't, you don't know what to do necessarily, but but you know you got problems and you know you need to uh, to, to fix them somehow. And let's talk real quick, okay? For all the people following Jesus in the room, I wanna to talk to you. And then for all the people who are like still trying to figure this Jesus thing out, totally cool, I wanna to talk to you, okay? So to the people following Jesus, I wanna give some like encouragement and like let's rise above it. And to the people uh, who are still figuring this thing out, I want to, um, I want to apologize. So uh, Christians, people following Jesus are notoriously good at giving really really bad advice, okay? Like really bad advice. And here's the one that just, that just kind of sticks me that I, it's not wrong, in fact, it's, it's biblically sound and correct, it's just it's bad advice, though, because it's not helpful. When you're walking through something difficult, when you have something that you're not quite, when your back's up against the wall, we're gonna talk about that today, what we say a lot of times is, you just need to, you just need to trust in God. You just need to trust in Jesus. And I I sit here listening to that and say, yes, absolutely, trust in God, trust in Jesus. What does that mean, though? What does it mean to put more trust in God? How do I do that? It's not a practical application step in our walk with God. It's just like some religious language that makes us feel better but doesn't give any advice to the person walking through something. So imagine I told you uh, there's a unicorn on stage this morning, and if you just mustered up enough trust inside of you, if you just, like, felt strongly enough about it, you would see it. I know far-fetched, but you, 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 I don't know if you notice, you can't muster that up inside you. You can't just, like, can't just dig down deep and trust more all of a sudden. That's not how, that's not how this works. It's broken logic. And so uh, today I want to talk to you. Uh, I want to kind of set the roadmap. And then we'll take us. I'll take us there. So I want to look at one of these. We've been talking about stuff of legends. I want to look at one of these stories um, from Scripture that we see God encounter mankind in an incredible, incredible way. Um, then I want to give you, based off of these guys' stories, I want to give you what I feel like are some. Uh, practical implications on how we can grow in our capacity to trust. Because just saying just, just trust God more is not is not helpful to us. And so I want us to grow in our capacity to trust. And then as a, as a gathering of believers, I want us to remember Jesus uh, through communion together. And so that's where we're going to head. If you have your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. And I'll kind of set the stage as you guys get there. So we plop down in the middle of Israel's Exile, so Israel is God's chosen people. And uh, he had given them kind of a covenant saying, this is how I want you guys to operate. But even if you don't, I'm I'm gonna be faithful to my end of the covenant. And so, uh, they, time and time again, are, Israel is not faithful to God's covenant. They, they constantly are looking for other gods. They're constantly looking for other kings. And so time and time again, God has grace on grace on grace. He's just lavishing it on his people. And then eventually he says, you know what? Maybe the best thing for you right now is to go into exile. This is not, this is you guys. Like, I gave you the option. And so maybe the best thing is for you guys to go into exile. And, and maybe you'll figure this whole thing out if you spend some time uh, out of where I have uh, given you. some they're in exile, and it happened because of their own accord, and so in chapter 3, in verse um, verses 1 through 14, what we kind of have happening is King Nebuchadnezzar, who is king at this time of the exiled land that they're in, starts to kind of feel like, okay, all these people are coming under my kingship, under my authority, under my rule, and I must be pretty important, like I must be pretty good, I must be pretty great, and so, so great, in fact, and King Nebuchadnezzar decides to uh, form a, a, a statue in his image. So he says, I'm gonna make this in my image after my likeness, um, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna use it to magnify how great and wonderful in my day I am. So he commissions it, it gets built, and he said, this statue is so great, this statue is so wonderful that I want you guys to worship this image. So all the people that are captured and living in this land, he says, when you hear this music, when you hear all these instruments play, That's the cue, and you guys are going to bow down, and you guys are going to worship this statue, the thing that's made in my image. So everyone goes along with it, except for we get an account. I I can't say for sure whether it was only these three guys. Surely there were some others. I don't know. This is the account we get. Uh, These three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, decide we're not going to do that we're not gonna bow down. These are people who, who were in exile, so they were Israelites, they were God's people, and they said, we're not gonna bow down to the statue. So some Chaldeans, who are some really educated men inside the kingdom, come to King Nebuchadnezzar. They say, hey, listen, we know your decree, we know what you said, there's these three guys, they're not doing what, what you had told them to do, you know, like the tattletales, you, everyone everyone knows someone like that, like, hey, look at those guys, they're not, they're not doing what, what they said. Um, and so King Nebuchadnezzar's like, Bring him to me. I want to see him. And uh, scripture tells us he was in a furious rage, which someone who has ego issues already because he made a giant statue of himself, to be in a furious rage, not a person you necessarily want to go up against. And so we pick up in, uh, he wants to talk to them, wants to hear if all this stuff is true. We pick up in verse 15, verse 15 in Daniel chapter three with King Nebuchadnezzar giving them a second chance says, now if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, every when you hear the music, okay, when you hear the music, if you fall down and worship the image I have made, well and good, we'll be fine, we don't have to have this conversation again. But if you do not worship, you shall be immediately cast into a burning, fiery furnace, and who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? So it gives them the ultimatum. He says, You can worship, it puts their back up against the wall, and says, Here's your two options, okay? You can keep doing what you've been doing, which is uh, follow, follow the God that you say you're following, or you can uh, go against that and you can bow down and, and worship this idol that I've set up, and we'll all be good. But those are the only two options that you have and i i want to be really careful when i approach text like this because i don't want to to read something that's not here i don't think that's doing justice to to god's word i think god gave us his word and it, it means something and it's living and it's active and so i don't ever want to like cross the line to, to read something that's not here, but I can't not read the end of that without hearing the smugness in, in King Nebuchadnezzar's voice. And who's the God that's going to deliver you out of my hands? He is so confident that, that, nothing, that, that they will die when they enter the fiery furnace that he just, who, who's the God that's going to save you? And so it's in these moments that I want us to put ourselves in the shoes and and I am sure you guys have at some point in your life been in a situation where your back is against the wall and your options are trust God or don't trust God. That's what these three guys, that's what their options were. They could trust God or they could not trust God, but it's in the moments when our back is against the wall, we don't have any other options that uh, we get to see God work in incredible, incredible ways, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have been a part, as Israelites, of a faith tradition that was an oral tradition that they passed down stories of God's faithfulness throughout all generations. So one generation would pass it to the next and they'd pass it to the next and they'd pass it to the next. So they would have heard stories, incredible stories of how God worked in and among his people. And I think as they look back on these stories, what gives them so much confidence is that God specializes in the impossible. Let's think back through some of the stories that they would have known. This is the same God that landscape of the universe is nothing. He speaks everything nothing into everything. This is the same God that when his people were, were in slavery, he pulls them out of slavery in Egypt, rescues them through some pretty miraculous feats. Okay? He said frogs were a part of it for crying out loud. Like, God, God was working in an impossible, incredible way. This is the same God that when they got rescued from slavery and brought into the wilderness, they came up to a sea and they were going to get killed if nothing, if they couldn't get across the sea. This is the same God that parted the sea so they could get across. This is the same God while, that while they were wandering in the desert, even though they had disobeyed him and weren't allowed to enter the promised land, this is the same God that sustained them with enough food to Get by day by day. This is the same God that, as they wandered around, there was a a rival king up on a mountain, and he was shouting. His goal was to shout down curses on Israel as they passed. And every time he opened his mouth, all that could come out was blessing. God sustained them. And this is the same God that gave them a set apart land and said, You will be my people, and I will raise, uh, I will live and reign in your midst and I don't think King Nebuchadnezzar realized the God he was dealing with, because when he says, who's the God that's gonna deliver you out of my hands? This is a God who always exceeds what we think is possible. And here's what I love, reading this in 2019, we have the benefits, I don't, I don't know why we've been this privileged to live at this point in history, but we have the benefit of looking back at this story through the lens of Jesus and the cross. And so you wanna talk about God exceeding what we think is possible? This is the same God who came down and dwelt as a man, lived as a man, just like we do. This is the same God who died on the cross to pay a penalty that was owed for someone else. This is the same God, though, that didn't stay dead after dying on that cross because he was raised to life. And this is the same God that as he was raised to life, he says, hey, people who are following me, the same power, the same power that raised me from the dead is now alive and at work within you. And if you wanna talk about impossibility. God doesn't speak the language of impossibilities. God exceeds what we think is possible. We serve a huge, majestic, beautiful, miracle-working God, and he exceeds what we think is possible. In verse uh, 16, we hop on to their response, which I think shows us where their trust comes in. says so, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, oh Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Which again, don't wanna read into it. Pretty gutsy response to someone who says he's gonna throw you in a fire. To be like, no, we're good. We, we don't need to answer you. We don't submit to your authority. We don't submit to your kingship. We don't submit to your lordship of what you're asking us to do right now. He said, we don't need to answer you in this matter. If it's so, our God who we serve, if you're going to throw us in the fire like you say you're going to, our God who we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he'll deliver us from your hand. We're not worried about it. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods. We will not worship the golden image that you have set up. So they're so confident. They're just exuding this confidence. And why are they exuding that? They, they're, they're literally standing there saying, we, we know without a doubt. We have so much confidence. We know that beyond belief, God works in impossible ways. God exceeds what we think is possible. So God will save us. God will save us from your hand and from this fire. We don't have any doubts. Why are they doing this? They're doing this because like I said, they're able to look back on the history that they know and they know that God's past faithfulness, God's past faithfulness points us to a future hope. God's past faithfulness points us to a future hope. They can look back on all those stories that we talked about and say, okay, God was faithful here to deliver us. So he's gonna be faithful in the future because here's the beauty of God. God's not tricky, okay? God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not out to trick us, he's not out to fool us. So if we know in ages past God has worked in a particular way, guess what he's gonna keep doing because God does not change. He's gonna keep working in that way in the future, and so his past faithfulness points us forward to a greater hope in the future. And again, I tell you, I love that we can read this in 2019 and not just leave this in the Old Testament, we can bring it into the New Testament, and we get hope, we get the hope of the cross that based off of his past faithfulness of his work and and death and resurrection on the cross, we have a future hope that we can look to. It reminds me of, in 2 Corinthians, Paul is uh, kind of, just catching up with them at the beginning of his letter. And he says, "For I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. It was bad, okay? For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired life itself. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation that bad, but I feel like some people in this room have been in a situation that bad where you are so utterly burdened, where the weight of the world, you wanna call it your fire, whatever you wanna call it, just weighs on you so heavily that, that you despair life Itself. Here's what he says in verse nine is, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. That's how bad it was. But here's the, here's the hope because of God's path faithfulness that, God, that Paul was looking to in the future. We, received, we felt that we had received the sentence of death but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God. Hear this, they felt like they had received the sentence of death, but that was to make them rely on God who raises the dead. Paul was able to look back on ages past and how Jesus had worked and look back on his past faithfulness that God had worked in incredible and miraculous and hello, impossible ways, raising someone from the dead. He was able to look back on that and say, I have a hope for the future that regardless of what happens right now, regardless of the situations I walk through, regardless of how bad things get, he's talking about uh, how, things got, how bad things got in Asia, regardless of how things, uh, bad things get here in Columbia City, in Whitley County, Northeast Indiana, wherever you are in your life, we have a hope because Jesus raises uh, people from the dead. So we can look back on God's past faithfulness and look forward to a future hope. But where we see even more trust, even more trust, like that's, I love it. I love the bold confidence of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be like, we're not going to do it because God's going to save us. We have confidence. Uh, God's God's mission is reconciliation. God's 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 mission of redemption is to take all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe and and fit them together in in a vibrant harmony. That's what he's doing. So we have confidence that God's gonna save us. But here's what they say, even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we're not gonna bow down. Because they're saying, what they're saying here is we fear God more than you, King Nebuchadnezzar. We trust God more than you, King Nebuchadnezzar. We worship God more than you, King Nebuchadnezzar. We have no doubts that he will save us. But if by some stretch, by some thought in the imagination that he doesn't, we're not going to do it. We get to decide every moment of every day what we give our hearts to. Do we get to give our heart to the situation that's, rel- that's putting our back against the wall that gives us an opportunity to, to trust in God more and to look back at his past faithfulness and how he's worked in impossible ways that points us to a future hope? Or do we, get to, do we, do we give our trust to whatever situation and say, this is too much, this is too much for God. God hasn't done the past and he won't now. We get to choose every day and we get to make the choice. Are we wringing our hands at whatever situation or fire or whatever it is that we're walking through? Are we wringing our hands or are we raising our hands to the God that can do something about it? And in this moment, in the most beautiful act of worship, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are saying, we trust in God more than anything based off of his past faithfulness that points us to a future, seemingly impossible hope. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, being a man of his word, tosses him in. It was so hot, they said, the scripture tells us they, it was quick, and it was so hot, they turned it up seven times hotter, and it was so hot that when they threw him in, a few of the guys that were throwing him in died. That's how hot of a fire we're dealing with here. And uh, King Nebuchadnezzar looks in the fire somehow, and he's like, let's just double check real quick, my math. We threw three guys in there, right? They look in. And they're like, yeah, we threw three guys. Okay, why do I, why do I see four then? And, and scripture tells us that one of them had this like divine something about him. They could see he looked like a son of man, son of God. Like there was something about this other person uh, in, in the fire that was different than these other guys. And so they pull him out of there. King Nebuchadnezzar probably shaken at this point uh, because he's like, oh, probably messed up against the God of the universe that these guys have told me about. Uh, here's what it says in verse 27. And so he gathers all his people around and they're all looking at these guys and inspecting them. And it said, and they gathered together and they saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed and no smell of fire had come on them. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that God exceeds what we think is possible. They looked back on his past faithfulness into a future hope. They trusted in God in this moment, got thrown in the fire, and God redeemed them, restored them, reconciled them, brought them out of the fire. And, and this stood out to me so much when I, was, when I was preparing for this week. I couldn't skip over this verse. And I just feel like it's here to encourage someone today. So I just want you to take it for what it is. But they came out of their fire, not being changed or affected by their fire, okay? If you want to think about your fire, whatever it is for you, that you're trusting God in, or you're trusting God for, or you're trusting God through. Whatever it is in your life, they came through their fire, not affected by their fire. And here's why. Because God defines us not our fire. They came out not smelling like fire. They weren't singed. They weren't burnt. They weren't any of that because God was with them in the middle of their fire. And because God is with them in the middle of the fire, we know God is with you in the middle of whatever trial, temptation, fire, whatever you're trusting God in and through. And because the fire doesn't define us, God does. God has already done all the defining he's going to do of you. So what he has said about you is done. You don't have to worry about what God says about you. All the things uh, he said are done and here's what he says about you. He says you are loved. He says you are redeemed. He says you are looked out for. He says you have value. He says you're a child of God. He says you're a new creation. He says you're his handiwork, that you're made in his image, that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And so in the moments when you're like, oh, I'm going to be so changed by this trial. Oh, I'm going to be so changed by this fire. Like, oh, I just, I'm going to come out on the other side not looking the same. God's already defined you, and everything that matters about you, everything that matters about you has been already defined by God, that he loves you, that he's redeemed you, that he's reconciled you, that he's restored you. And so I want to encourage you that God defines you, not your fire. So when you're walking through these situations, Your marital issues, those don't define you, God defines you. Your child who wandered away that you pray for daily, that person does not define you, God defines you. Your addiction that you can't quite break, that that does not define you, God defines you. Your secret life you don't want others to see, that does not define you, God defines you. Your aging parent you're caring for, that does not define you, God defines you. Farmers, hear me out, your bad year of crops, that does not define you, God defines you someone that's lost their job. That doesn't define you. God defines you. So in these moments, when your back is against the wall and you don't have any other options, this trust God or don't trust God. We get to look back on how he's worked in impossible, impossible ways. And we get to look forward uh, to a future hope because of his past faithfulness. And we get to remember that God defines us, not our fire. And what a beautiful, beautiful hope that is. What a beautiful hope that we know whatever trial or, situation or circumstance that we're in, that we don't have to worry about coming on the other side, a worse person because of it. We know that God is working in it, God is working through it, and He's defining you. He's defining you, not, not our fires. So to walk to walk this road of trust, we need to remember, again, we need to remember that God exceeds. God exceeds what we think as humans is possible. So when we get our backs against the wall and we say, I don't know what to do here, I don't have any other options but to trust God, we get to remember that that's when God shows up in incredible, incredible ways. Who would have thought that, that they would have survived, uh, survived this fire? That's not in the realm of human possibility, but God showed up and did the impossible to work in their lives. We get to look back on God's past faithfulness Because God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We get to look back on God's past faithfulness and look forward to a future hope. A hope of an abundant life with God right now and of an eternal life with him, worshiping him and enjoying him forever and ever. And we get to remember that God defines us, not our fire. So when we're in the midst of pain, when we're in the midst of anguish, when we're in the midst of hurts or habits or hangups, and we're trying to trust God, we get to remember that God's already said everything about you that he's going to say about you, that you're loved, that you're redeemed, that you're valued, and that your fire does not define you he does i talked about it a couple times but i love that we get to look at this story through the lens of the cross because the lens of the cross changes things the cross changes things in our life and we get to know that uh, we're not just looking forward to some ambiguous unknown future hope we're looking forward to the hope of an eternal and abundant life with god and so as a body of believers, I just wanna, I wanna commit ourselves to this. I want us to remember looking back on the faithfulness of the cross and, and the tomb. I want us to look back on that faithfulness and remember the hope that we have because of that and remember the hope that is to come in the future because of that. So we're gonna, we're gonna celebrate communion together uh, this morning, just remembering who God is and what he's done. So just a couple practical uh, practical things of handing out. Um, just a reminder that they said gluten-free. It's going to have a, a tag down in it. You'll see it. We practice here at, at First Church what's called an open table, which simply means if you love Jesus and you've committed your life to Jesus, uh, we want you to celebrate the Lord's Supper uh, with us today. You don't have to be a, a regular tender for it. This could be your one and only Sunday. If you love, we wanna celebrate with you. And, um, and so I want you to hold on to the elements uh, as they get passed, and we'll take them together here in a little bit. A, a lot of times, and rightfully so, there's a lot of weight to, um, to, to the Lord's table, to communion, uh, because there was a great sacrifice that was paid. But that weight does nothing if it doesn't move us to that future hope of celebration. And so I want us today to, to know holding back in our celebration of who God is, as we prepare our hearts for communion. Uh, I want us to just no restrictions, okay? No, there's no judgment in this room. So respond right now, however you see fit. If you need to go pray at the cross, someone will meet you over there. If you need to go just say, God, I need to trust you for this in my life. Someone will meet you there. That can happen at any point during the service, really. Uh, if you wanna stand, if you wanna kneel, if you wanna sit, respond how God is leading you to respond. So let's pray together as we prepare our hearts for remembering what God has done. Father, we love you and we are thankful for your past faithfulness. Lord, how you have shown up in impossible ways to do things we couldn't even ask, think, or imagine. Lord, you have provided uh, hope in ways that we thought were hopeless. You've provided uh, redemption in ways that we thought were past repair. So we just wanna commit ourselves to trust right now, trust in you, a ruthless and radical trust of who you are and how you're working in our lives. Lord, we love you deeply. We're so thankful for the opportunity to remember your sacrifice. Help us do so with with a spirit of celebration of who you are, making much of you and little of us. We love you deeply and ask all of these things in your precious and holy name, amen.